choices, new players, new models of care. You know Consumer First Healthcare is everywhere. For us to build the future, to see what's new, we gotta look at the world from a different point of view. Consumer innovation ain't going away. I say it's here to stay. Today it leads the way. We gotta drop the silos. We're all the same team. Experience, business, tech, and marketing. So join us now. Join the revolution. Consumer First Health is the evolution. Status quo or like status no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rep. Yo, come on, let's go. Welcome back to the leading podcast about consumer innovation. I'm Jared Johnson, founder of Shift Forward Health, and here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about Kroger piloting new primary care clinics for seniors. What's Kroger's formula for success among underserved Medicare populations, and how can grocery brands play a greater role in consumers' health and wellness? I'll talk about that. Then we're honored to welcome Dennis Murphy, president and CEO of Indiana University Health. Dennis shares what senior hospital leaders can do to keep making progress with consumer experience when they have so many other priorities. Then he provides some details about an exciting new hospital that IU Health is developing in downtown Indianapolis and how patient experience is being prioritized as part of the building. I couldn't think of a better way to kick off season 10, so it's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the Week. Kroger's Little Clinic announced a big move. According to Fierce Healthcare, Kroger is piloting value-based primary care clinics as it joins a growing list of retailers looking to cash in on the booming sector of senior-focused medical care. The grocery chain has teamed up with Better Health Group, a provider network, to shift some of its in-store clinics called the Little Clinics into primary care centers for seniors, in addition to offering regular services. Better Health Group is rolling out the value-based model at eight of Kroger's Atlanta-area stores. Jim Kirby, chief commercial officer for Kroger Health, said, The clinics today provide a full range of service from your acute, convenient care to primary care-like options. About 60% of patients that we see in the clinic don't have an assigned or designated primary care provider, so there's a huge opportunity just in general to serve patients and provide longitudinal care. What are the aspects of consumer innovation here? Like Jim was quoted, it's comprehensive primary care. It's very similar to what we usually have in mind about going into your doctor for primary care services, so understanding all the diagnoses that a senior may have, and then forming a care plan and following up with them proactively and making sure that they're getting the care they need, those are all included in this service. Here's why I like this announcement. You know me, I always cheer for increased access. I especially like it when that access comes from a trusted brand. And I like that this offering is focusing, at least for now, on medically underserved populations. So I guess you could say this checks a lot of boxes for me. Here's what I'll keep an eye on. Kroger executives were quoted in the article as saying, Medicare wants 100% of its payments by 2030 to be under some sort of value-based care agreement. The writing's on the wall for all of healthcare. We wanted to be ahead of the game. And this was the interesting part. They said instead of acquiring a primary care company like others are doing, we decided to look at our own assets and convert some of these clinics over and do value-based care within our in-store model. I'll also be interested to see how they market this new service to seniors who demographically can struggle to navigate and trust a system that many of them were raised to believe they don't need. So it's awesome that there will potentially now be a simpler way for them to get primary care, but will they want it and trust it? Either way, let's cheer for the growing opportunities for grocery brands to play a greater role in consumers' health and wellness and acknowledge the different types of non-traditional players that can coexist for our benefit. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the Flavor of the Week. The flow, the flow, the flow.
All right, everyone, let's get into the flow. We're honored today to be joined by Dennis Murphy, president and CEO of Indiana University Health. Dennis, welcome to the Healthcare Wrap. Thank you, Jared. It's a real pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to to catch you at this time. It's an exciting time in the industry. And by exciting, I mean a lot of change going on. And I love to get the perspective of leaders such as yourself. I'd love to start off helping our our listeners understand a little bit more about you, get to know you a little bit better. What, What would you like them to know about you and your background? Sure. So I've been CEO here at IU Health for seven years. I've been a part of the organization for 10. Interestingly, we're the only academic health center in the entire state of Indiana. So there's one medical school, allopathic medical school here in the state, Indiana University. And we are the health system that's associated with that. We're also very fortunate. We've got 15 hospitals. We've got over 200 locations a health plan, about 38,000 employees. So we really do have the ability to make a disproportionately large impact on the health, the actual health of the state. And we take that responsibility seriously. The other thing we talk about a lot is we're indispensable. So there are a number of things that only we do in the state, which is different than other places I've worked. So our trauma center uh, in downtown Indianapolis takes care of 50% more trauma than all the other trauma centers in the state combined. We do 80% of the transplants. We did about 111,000 admissions last year. 24,000 of those were transfers from other hospitals because we had the ability to provide care that they couldn't. So there's some really unique parts of IU Health that truly make us kind of critical to the healthcare ecosystem here in Indiana. Well, I love that connection you already just made between the work that's going on and the benefit that it provides to the individual members of society, of, of those in the state. And I, I do think those are things that we want to use as the basis of our conversation today. What about you personally? Can you tell me about anything that sticks out, any piece of career advice you've received and how it's influenced you? Yeah, maybe the, and it's a pretty basic one, Jared, is just be really great at the job you're doing. I think there's a lot of pressure people put on themselves to kind of think about a career path, think about what's next, think about how am I getting from point A to point B in my career. And early on, I had somebody just tell me, be great at what you do and people will notice. That has really served me well. I'm in this role, not as a result of any planned career path I had. I just tell folks I'm a little bit like Forrest Gump. I've wandered into a lot of great experiences. I've worked for great people. But that idea of just being focused on what you're doing and do it really well and learn from others around you while you're doing that has served me really well. And I do try and give young folks that same advice of don't put so much pressure on yourself to be at a certain place at a certain time professionally in your career. Just just do good work and make a contribution and people will notice. That's fantastic. And I do love how you're right. It, it might sound simple, but it's actually really profound and, and it's harder to remember on something like that of, of just putting less pressure. If you're successful, there's a, probably some level of innate competition or competitiveness we all have. And it's hard to step back from that because you're always trying to judge yourself based on 
peers and where others are at. And it is a really good reminder just to celebrate others' successes and don't see them as mutually exclusive. Ah, thanks for sharing that. I love that. It's a great way to to get into what we're talking about today. Again, we're going to have a conversation about consumerism and the current state of that. And I think it helps to just have some some context about the general state of the industry right now. And I wonder if you could give us a general state of the state of the hospital and healthcare industry as we sit here. Let's start with the challenges. I think a, a lot of them are kind of right in the middle of people's radar screens. But but from your perspective, what challenges are hospital systems facing right now? Yeah, it's probably this confluence of uh, variables that I always say part of the job is balancing all of them. So you've got rising demand, just from an aging population. You know, there's 10,000 U.S. citizens that turn 65 every day and will do so for probably another six years for us. So you're going to continue to see that demand rise. And we also see people coming to us with more complex disease. And then you put on the other end of that the workforce challenges that we have, that as people age, they're aging out of our workforce. Our younger workforce, I think, has a different set of incentives, motivation, desires in their work. So we've got to adapt to that and acknowledge it. And then you've got a series of other inputs that are driving uh, your costs higher, whether that's good things like new drugs that are able to treat new things, but they're always more expensive to just basics. So, you know, it costs us more for the food we feed our patients today than it did three years ago. So you've got demand increasing, cost pressures, and then I think legitimately in the United States, real concerns about the overall cost of healthcare. So how are we fiscally responsible in that? So those three, I think, create kind of a a really interesting environment, which for us as an organization really says the most important thing is how are you going to adapt and change? That standing still will be the absolute worst thing we could do. It really is a confluence of different things, isn't it? There's, There's a lot going on here. And we're probably patient volume-wise, 8 to 9% over last year. And that's in the face of these really difficult workforce challenges. But it just shows you people want to come to get their care from us. I think we have a great team of uh, people throughout IU Health who are adapting and finding ways to provide more care. We continue to see increases in our patient satisfaction scores. So we know that we're doing really good things. We know we're doing well on the quality standpoint. So it is that ability to change and improve and adapt that I think is going to be a critical success factor uh, if you're going to make it through these difficult times. Well, let's dig into the success side. I'd love to hear some of the bright spots where IU Health and other hospital systems that you're aware of just in general are succeeding. Where are some of those bright spots that you're seeing? Yeah, you know, I probably point to some things that may sound a little different than your core business. But, you know, if you go back to that earlier comment, we really do believe our role is how do you make the state healthier? We actually really value uh, the investments we've made in community health and partnered projects throughout the state trying to address those core health impediments, whether it's access to food, access to jobs, daycare, education, a whole series of those things. And as far as we can tell, we're one of the real leaders. Our board has been really supportive in seeing us 
sort of change some of our investment portfolio to those things outside the four walls of the institution into these broader social impediments to health. The other one that I think is pretty amazing is uh, that we're a big health system. We're 15 hospitals. It's a nursing crisis. You probably hear over and over people in healthcare. And yet we have all 15 hospitals in our system, either magnet or pathways to magnet certified. Generally, there's only about 5% of hospitals in the country that have that. At least as far as I can tell, we're the only system in the top 20 that has every single one of our hospitals magnet certified. So that idea of how can you differentiate yourself to nurses in a time where it's a highly competitive market. Um, you know, I think about this as a branding component for what it means to be a part of our nursing workforce and really trying to differentiate ourselves as well. That's such an important component of strategy. And I love how you mentioned that different generations of workforce have different needs and expectations. That, that is definitely a, a factor here in everything that we're talking about. And I love how that's one of the first things that you mentioned about some of the successes that are happening because that, that's so important and essential here. I've heard, you know, I haven't been there, right? But I, I've heard about a new hospital that that's being built that you're developing in downtown Indianapolis. I'd love to hear about the hospital itself, the project itself, and all that's going into that. And then we'll get into the patient and consumer experience, how that's being prioritized. But, but tell me about the build itself and, and when and where and how big it is yeah. and stuff like that. So when IU Health was formed in 1997, there were three hospitals and they're all within about a mile and a half of each other, two adult hospitals and a large children's hospital. One of the things that I think we are doing with this project is actually creating a single facility for all of our adult patients on one campus. So we will go from facilities that probably encompass just over 4 million square feet to something that's 900,000 square feet smaller, but actually more efficient and actually take advantage of the collective talent pool that we have by putting all those people into one campus. So this project is, at least by our architects reckoning, uh, the largest healthcare project in North and South America. Uh, he's checking Europe and a few other places, but it's $4.2 billion. We will complete the project at the end of 2027. We will see our first patient, but it's really necessary. We still have facilities on our campus that are over 100 years old that we still see patients. In. And so part of what we're trying to do is match an environment for our patients and staff that meets the quality of the care that we know we're providing today and really say, how can you take that to that next level? We're already from a quality and mortality standpoint in the top decile or quartile in our facilities how do you actually continue to improve that? I understand that a lot of consideration has been given to the patient experience and the consumer experience side of things, which, you know, I'm always careful to to delineate. It's not a consideration separate from the clinician's experience. Yeah. They're very much aligned there. But as far as meeting the expectations of those who are engaging in the system, those are needs and expectations that are being more con considered more favorably, I guess, or, or more prominently in, in discussions 
Is that something that's been part of the conversation as you've been developing the new facility? A hundred percent, because, you know, and it's kind of interesting, you reference kind of not losing the kind of provider side of this with the patient. We really think about it in a couple of dimensions. One is to really generate the kind of experience you want. Some of that is cultural. So how do you create a culture within your organization that when something isn't scheduled or planned, your team knows how to respond to the patient in a way that garners a better patient experience? So can you build in a set of expectations around excellence, around compassion, around how a team works together? And then the other side is how do you engineer elements of the experience so that it yields the best possible outcome and not to be kind of trite, but people view that as kind of the Amazon experience, that it's been engineered the whole way through that I don't, you know, the analog in healthcare would be, I don't go to an app to order something and then go to a different app to pay for it. It's all integrated in, the delivery is integrated. We need more of that as we design this building and really starting with, okay, when you show up in the parking lot, How do we know everything about your experience and design those patient flows all the way through to the point that you're back at home and we've got your medications in hand for you, your discharge instructions, your follow-up, all of those pieces. So really taking kind of a, a set of idealized patients and saying, how are we going to use those as mapping for experiences throughout this new facility? That's fantastic. You know, I hear a lot about, and I guess we talk a lot about it on, on the show, about meeting those needs and expectations. And using that word, I wrote it down, integration, integrating each of these pieces into that patient's flow and knowing enough about them to be able to personalize that in some way. Any progress along these lines is appreciated and noticed. And so that's that's fantastic that those are those are considerations going into the new building. You know, when I back this out a little bit and think about just the hospital-centric business model itself, I'd love to hear what you think has to happen for that business model to remain sustainable. Very, very clearly, the work that's done is some of the most important work that is done anywhere. And there are a lot of pressures that you mentioned, cost pressures, et cetera, uh, workforce pressures. How do we keep this model going and, and what has to happen for that to be sustainable, to be able to provide that high level of care into the future? Yeah, you know, that's one of the, the perplexing uh, questions I deal with every day. I always call it my Rubik's Cube with uh, each one of those <laughs> squares being a dimension of what it takes to be successful. I, I'm kind of a lifetime operator that became CEO. So maybe I start with, I think you got to provide great care and just Fundamentally, it's why people come to us. They're at their most vulnerable. You know, we in the industry spend our lives inside it. So we come to take everything for granted. For most patients, they're in a hospital maybe two or three times in their life. And so they're intimidated. They're unsure of how to navigate it. And so how do we make sure the core care is uh, great? Then all of those softer side components are great. And and so I, I think you start there with the business model. And then when you step out and and go a little wider, I do think thinking about how you are as broad and diverse a healthcare provider as possible so that you can accomplish that integration. You've talked about that. I think the days of going from 
a clinic that has a different EMR to your inpatient EMR that has no connection to home care that has no connection to a pharmacy that has no connection to other ancillary components of the system just does not meet what patients want. And so for us as a health system, it has really been, how do you create that vertically integrated experience that says everything from our health insurance company to our hospitals, our clinics, how can that feel like that's an IU health experience? that people get all the way through. And Jared, we're nowhere near where we want to be, but I do think we have a vision of where we're headed in terms of we perform all those functions well from a patient standpoint. How do they actually feel like it's a seamless handoff between those? I love that. And I appreciate the mentioning that this is a journey and very few, if any, institutions are that destination where they have everything connected and personalized in the way that you just mentioned. You know, I, I don't want to minimize the effort that's required to, to get there and make progress there. So I appreciate that. What about this coming year? What about 2024? What are your priorities for IU Health? I know we, we've kind of zeroed in on the consumer side here, but in general, what, what are your priorities? Yeah, you know, we're a pretty simple organization. We always talk broadly about three main areas of focus every year. One is kind of the core operations of the organization. Can you improve the quality of care? Can you improve the employee engagement? Can you improve patient engagement? And can you hit your financial numbers as kind of one pool of work? Then the other is how do you advance our strategy and and maybe this one that we're talking about, this patient-consumer journey, is going to be one of the biggest areas of emphasis in 24, really beginning to map out those gaps in integration and how do you actually make that more seamless by just picking very specific areas. And I know this may sound mundane, but you know we have over 200 locations. We have 3,000 providers how can you go to a single place to schedule? And so, you know, the, this grew up as a cottage industry and everybody had their own nurse or assistant scheduling for them. How does this look, again, more like an airline, more like a hotel where I can schedule for any Hyatt around the world with one number or one website. We've got to get to that same notion. So really picking some very tactical ways to say we will be different the end of next year than we are this year. And there are other growth areas for us in that strategy that I think are really important. This downtown facilities part of that but there's a bigger portfolio of growth. And then the last part that we may be unique in is we put just as much emphasis on a third element, which is improving our culture as an organization as we do on strategy execution and our operating goals. And so I think that's also critically important for us to think about how you build a healthy culture and a differentiated culture so that people want to come here and stay here. When I think about the role of a couple of the components we've mentioned previously in the conversation, one of those being the consumer experience, I know just prioritizing that 
knowing that that's not, it's hardly the only thing going on, right? So prioritizing it can be a big challenge. There are so many other priorities that exist out there. So what can hospital leaders do to keep consumer experience a, a priority as everything else is going on? I think one of the challenges is that people tend to think of this as a distinct set of work. And I really do believe this is part of how you attract and retain people in your workforce is they got into healthcare to help people. And they got into healthcare because they want people to have this incredible experience and a positive experience when they're here. And the more that we can actually integrate systems and create structures and culture that yield happy, engaged patients, I think the better off we are with workforce because they usually the things that annoy patients that create obstacles for them are the same things that are creating obstacles for our staff. So uh, really, how do you take those friction points out and allow the team to do what they got into healthcare to do from the get-go, which is let's take great care of patients, I think has this dual benefit that most people separate out the consumer journey from all the other things. I think it yields higher quality. It yields better financial outcomes. It yields more engaged employees. This isn't our patient consumer strategy. This is a how do you improve the business strategy? Wow. Oh, yeah. See, this is coming back to that that word integration again because I'm, I'm seeing the integration of these strategies of, of being able to recognize that you're not just trying to achieve one objective here; that it, it does benefit other objectives. That's that's fantastic. We refer to it, I guess, on this show as building your consumer muscles. Right? There are those day to day tasks that over time can build up some some competencies and some skills and some some abilities within a team within a health system eventually to understand how to address the consumer experience or how to connect things, integrate things, personalize things so that you do eliminate some of that friction that you were just describing. But that does come in into play, I feel like, in, into some regularly building up some skills, kind of like you you are in the gym. So that's why we call it consumer yeah. muscles, right? But but are, are there other ways that we can build up those consumer muscles in our, in our healthcare organizations? Yeah, you know, one that we've used, and this came out of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, we're fortunate to have somebody from that organization on our board is just the very simple notion of asking what matters to you because that connotes a personalization of the care that you don't get when you ask all of the normal differential diagnosis questions because for every patient that's unique that may be as simple as please keep my spouse informed every few hours that may mean even something more dramatic we've had you know people say i know i'm palliative care or hospice patient and I want to get married before I pass away. And so that's what matters to them. And so we make that happen in the hospital. If they're not going to make it out of the hospital, we make sure that we make it happen outside our facility if we can get them home. But that notion, that simple question has now become kind of a mantra for us in the emergency room, in a clinic, a wherever you are, because it humanizes the patient in a way that most of our conversations in healthcare never do. It gives the patient some level of control 
to say, these are the things most important to me. And then it's really empowering your team to go deliver on those. So that is the muscle we try and overdevelop in our team. Just ask it often, make sure everybody knows for that individual patient what matters most to them. And we've even seen it on the employee side. We now, as leaders, ask our team members what matters most to you because we're finding it helpful even in that domain. How do you treat your employees more as customers and as people who you need to be responsive to? I love that. A couple of final questions or or things here that I'd love to hear your thought on. First one is, is just recognizing, as you've said, the intense amount of work that goes on in this field every single day and thus trying to help everyone in the industry develop their careers, develop their leadership abilities. What's your best guidance for for clinical and non-clinical professionals to do that? Yeah, it may go back to our earliest statement, Jared, is, you know, I think be great in the job you're in, but I think on that growth and development, some folks think of that linearly as I've got to move up the organization in terms of scope and scale or title. I actually feel like all of us should be in this kind of skill development mode instead of title development or advancement. And in my own career, I have moved backwards in titles. I went from being a vice president back down to being a director because it was in a new organization, a new opportunity, different challenges. I'd been an operating person and never been in a corporate office. So what was that like? I really think the growth is in much smaller sets of domains where it's really about experiences and learning different parts of healthcare. So I was really fortunate early in my career, I worked in a hospital and somebody said, go over to the health plan for four months and help them. We're looking to sell this thing. And there's just a bunch of things that need to be fixed before we sell it. And that happened to me 20 plus years ago in my career. And that still sticks with me because I learned so much in that brief period of time. So I would say open yourself up to new projects, new experiences, new challenges. Maybe it's the old uh, Ted Lasso, be curious. Go out there and try and do some different things. Probably the best way to grow. All right, I'm going to give you a final word here, Dennis. Anything that we haven't mentioned yet that they'd like to share with our listeners? Anything that just comes to mind they want to make sure we get across? Uh, you know, maybe the simple one, Jared, is understand the joy of being a part of this industry, that we collectively have the ability to change people's lives and make them healthier and better. And not many folks get that privilege every day in what you do. And I'm not a patient care person, but I'm associated with an organization that does that. That's what gets me out of bed every day. So I, I think healthcare is tough right now, but don't underestimate or don't undervalue the ability that we all have to make a difference in a positive way. Kind of going back to that core purpose why you got into this to begin with. And with that, that's a wrap for this episode. I want to thank Dennis so much for joining us. I've had the pleasure of speaking with Dennis Murphy, President and CEO of IU Health. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. 
Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again.